It's wonderful to be with you today. Uh, I, uh, I have to confess that I have never been to Hertford Street before. And, uh, and so it's a real pleasure for me to be able to be here today and to share God's word with you and just to enjoy fellowship with you as a church. And can I just say, um, this church has a very important responsibility to shine the light of Jesus into this local community here. And uh, though you may be relatively small in number, uh, the responsibility that God has given to you is, uh, is no less significant. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so what we were just hearing about a few moments ago really warmed my heart because it's, uh, it's when we take those little opportunities that God gives to us, sometimes they're only little half chances, but take those little opportunities to tell other people about Christ, what he means to us personally, what he's done for us on the cross. Uh, and I mean, that message is a message which the world today desperately, desperately, desperately needs to hear. And uh, we all have the privilege of being able to do that. So I want to encourage you to keep on faithfully sharing Christ with those people around you. I understand that you've been working your way through uh, the book of Philippians, and it's a wonderful book. And uh, I'm really happy to be able to share um, seven or eight verses with you today from uh, Philippians chapter 2. And uh, those have just been read to us. If you're a Christian, and uh, I'm guessing as I look around this morning that probably most of you are, is your faith still growing? Is your faith still growing? Maybe you've been a Christian for many years. I was talking to a man a moment ago who is 98, would you believe? I'm not sure how many years he's been a Christian for, but I'd say many, 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 many years. All right. It doesn't matter how old we are. Is our faith still growing? That's the question that we need to reckon with. Or are we just sitting back waiting for Jesus to return or maybe to take us? And in the meanwhile, just twiddling our thumbs. Is our love for Christ continuing to flourish? Is the Holy Spirit producing more and more fruit in our lives? Because I think this is the question that the Apostle Paul is asking from these verses here this morning in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Paul was always keen to know how the people in the churches that he had planted were going. And that's the reason why we have so many of his epistles in our New Testament, because Paul would write back to find out how, uh, how, how these churches were going, how the people in these churches were going. Somehow or other, his pastor's heart continued to flow out towards these people. We don't know exactly how long before writing the, the letter to the Philippians, Paul had actually planted the church, but it was probably maybe 12 years or something like that. It was, it was a fair period of time. And yet all these years later, he is still concerned for the welfare, the spiritual welfare of these people. He might have been in prison, but there is, as he writes, he's still urging them on in their faith. In the, uh, the previous couple of verses, verses 5 to 11, which you would have covered last week, Paul reminds these Philippian people of Jesus. 
He talks about the humility of Jesus. He talks about the obedience of Jesus. He talks about the willingness of Jesus to actually go all the way to the cross to die. And he talks about how Jesus now rules and reigns as Lord. Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. And that one day, every knee is going to bow before him and acknowledge him as Lord. Just imagine that. Everybody who has ever lived is one day going to bow the knee to Jesus. And what, what, what I think Paul is saying when he comes to these next couple of verses is if Jesus is Lord of your life, it needs to make a difference to the way that you live as a Christian. We can't simply just meander along enjoying the blessing of being saved if Jesus is Lord. We must live our lives with a clear sense of direction, a clear sense of purpose, because he is Lord. And it doesn't matter how old we may be, it doesn't matter how many years we may have known the Lord, the fact of the matter is we need to continue making progress, keeping on growing in our faith. So how do you do that? Well, in these verses, verses 12 to 18 of Philippians chapter 2, we get a bit of an idea. Firstly, we are to cultivate a faith that keeps working. Look at 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul makes it very clear that as Christians we have a responsibility for the outworking of our salvation. It's very important for us to understand what verse 12 is not saying. Firstly, it is not saying, now that you have been saved by God's grace, it's all up to you then to maintain your salvation. He's not saying that. He's not saying the whole work of persevering in the Christian life and growing in the Christian life is all up to you. And he's certainly not saying that we are saved by our works. He's not saying that at all. That would be contrary to everything that Paul has written elsewhere in the scriptures. It's interesting, uh, the Catholic translation of the, uh, of the Bible is called the Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Bible. And I understand, I don't have a copy of it myself, but I understand that verse 12 in the Jerusalem Bible actually says something like this. It says, work out your own salvation, sorry, work for your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work for your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is, that is a corrupt translation of the Greek. That is not what Paul has written in the original document. And perhaps this is one of the reasons why the Roman Catholics have got a, such, such a messed up theology of salvation. Because they still have this idea that we have to work for our salvation. We don't work for our salvation, but we do have a responsibility to work out our salvation, to live it out. That's another way of being able to say it. 
It's our responsibility as Christians to actively apply the truths of the gospel to every area of our life. We need to make our faith real in practice. Yes, we are saved by the grace of God, and praise God for that. We contribute nothing to our salvation in that sense. Right, but as Christians now who have been saved by the grace of God, it is our privilege but also our responsibility to work that out in practice in the way that we live out our faith as Christians. We have to, in a sense, convert the theory of salvation into practice. It needs to become real in our lives. And in that sense... As we understand more and more of the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ in saving us, we then experience more and more of that reality in the way that we live as Christians. As God enables us to apply the gospel of salvation in the way that we live for him day by day. It's our responsibility to play our part in this process of growth. When we start to understand the immensity of what God has done for us in Christ, well then, that then has implications for everything that goes on in our lives. And it motivates us, as we were reminded again this morning, it motivates us to share our faith. In Ephesians chapter 3, Verse, um, um, I think it's about verse 20, round about there. Um, it talks about, um, about understanding the full extent of God's love for us. It's, it's length, it's breadth, it's height, it's depth. And as we come to understand the full extent of God's love for us, then it touches every area of our lives. And of course... We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Not because we're afraid of losing our salvation, but because we don't want to do anything at all that will make light of the preciousness of that salvation. We can, you know, it's very easy for us as Christians, especially when we've been Christians for a few years, just to take our salvation for granted. And not to appreciate the full extent of what God has done for us in Christ. And if we take our salvation in a very casual kind of way, what it does is is it offensive to God. It offends the Lord Jesus. And so Paul encourages us, just as he encouraged the Philippians themselves, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But our part in this outworking of our faith is never alone. It's always a response to God's work in us. Notice what the verse goes on to say. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our work as believers arises out of God's inner work in us in the first place. All right, it's a partnership between God and us. That's how we grow as Christians. We cooperate with him. We obey him. We are empowered by him. We experience 
God leading us and guiding us and challenging us and pushing us forward. We're never alone as Christians. God is always at work. He never sleeps. He never lets go of us. He's always at work bringing out and accomplishing his plans and his purposes for our lives. Do we believe that? There is nothing that can stop God's work within us. And Paul reminds the Philippians of this. Yes, we have to work out our own salvation, but it is God who works in you. So we are working and God is working. We play our part, but God at the same time is also continuing to work within us. He's leading us, he's guiding us, he's encouraging us, he's correcting us, he's, he's convicting us, he's pulling us into line. He's giving us his spirit to do the work that he's wanting us to do. And through it all, he's accomplishing his good purposes. He's working all things out in our lives for his good pleasure. That's beautiful. As you think about that, is it a little bit confusing? A bit mysterious? The fact that, yes, we have a responsibility for our own growth, but God has a responsibility for enabling us to grow in that Christian faith. I remember when I was a Bible college student, we used to spend um, um, time in our theology class discussing this big question. Divine sovereignty, that's God's work, as opposed to human responsibility, that's our work. And so, you know, we would have these big discussions. And how can you marry the two? Because the Bible teaches both. I mean, it's not correct to say that we play no part in the outworking of our salvation because it is very clear here in these verses that that's exactly what Paul is saying. But in the midst of our contributing by by faithfully holding on to the Lord and reading his word and praying and serving and being involved in ministry and all those sorts of things that we are contributing to the outworking of our salvation. But in the midst of it all, God is divinely sovereign. And he's the one who is overseeing everything that is happening in our lives because his plans and his purposes are for our good. And so we have this, 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 if you like, sort of a divine mystery that's being taught to us here, which is essential for us to understand. Yes, we work. But even more powerfully in our lives, God is at work as our sovereign God. It's a joint effort. And because of that, we can rest in the the sure knowledge that, um, that, 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 that God doesn't leave us on our own. I mean, if it was entirely up to us to grow in the Christian life and to persevere in the Christian life, I can tell you that every single one of us would fail. But the wonderful news is that we have a God who is, who is working his will 
through the circumstances of our lives for his good pleasure. He's working in us. So I want to encourage you this morning, friends, first of all, to understand that we have a part to play in our spiritual growth through the outworking of our salvation in the way that we live our faith. Are you actively working for your spiritual growth? Are you taking it seriously? Or are you just sitting back saying, isn't it wonderful? I got saved on such and such a date, you know, 25 years ago, and I'm waiting for Jesus to come back and take me. No. No, we are continuing to press on and persevere and keep on growing and becoming more and more Christ-like as the gospel of salvation works itself out in our lives. Okay, the second means by which we are to grow is we are to cultivate a faith that keeps on shining. Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. We'll just leave it there. Paul now shifts the focus onto uh, uh, the area of Christian character and, uh, and, and, and how we live as Christians before the world which is watching on. Does the fact that we are Christians make a difference to those among whom we live and move. Maybe members of our family, could be the people we work with, could be the neighbours who live around about us. Do they notice a difference? Is there something distinctive about our character, about the way that we live? And Paul mentions just a, a couple of sort of like specific examples here. First of all, he says that we shouldn't grumble or question. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Um, I wonder why Paul chose these two things. And I think maybe because grumbling and questioning can do so much damage, so much damage to Christians, um, to churches, um, to, the, to the witness that we bear to the world around about us. Grumbling is, a, is an attitude that, um, that, that infects all those people around them, and likewise questioning. Grumbling and questioning leads to arguments and criticisms and gossip and those sorts of things. When the, um, the Israelites were in the desert for those 40 years, Moses was leading them, um, preparing them for entry into the Promised Land, it tells us there that they repeatedly grumbled and questioned God. Grumbling and questioning were two of the main areas of sin committed by the Israelites in the desert. And as a result, they rebelled against God, they disobeyed God, and they became a rabble. That's the way that it was. You read the book of Exodus and Numbers. Even to the point where they wanted to go back to Egypt and reject God altogether. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 5, it actually calls them a crooked and twisted generation. Exactly the same two words that are used here in, um, in verse, uh, verse 15. 
a crooked and twisted generation. And so I think that Paul is actually sort of harking back to the, the wanderings of the Israelites in the wilderness uh, when he writes these verses here. And he says, don't be like them. Don't be grumblers. Don't be questioning. Love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Obey him. Follow him. Don't question him. And I mean, that's the way that it needs to be in the Christian life, that we consciously choose to submit ourselves to the authority of the word of God. It goes on and it says we should be blameless and innocent. And I think that is saying, you know, don't be like the world around about us in that sense. Don't join in the criticism and the gossip that's going on around us. He says we should be without blemish. Blemish was a word that was used in reference to sacrifices. There is only one person who is without blemish, and that, of course, is Jesus. But as Christians who are seeking to be more and more like Jesus, hopefully, you know, we are becoming distinctive by the, the purity of our lives. As we set ourselves apart for Christ and desire to be holy people, that our lives will be a, um, a sort of an unspoken sermon, if you like, or presentation of the gospel to those people who are watching on. And then he says that we should hold fast to the word of life. This could refer to two things. It could refer to the Bible as a whole. So hold fast to the Bible. But it could also be referring more specifically to the gospel message. Hold fast to the message of salvation. And these days, you know, there are a lot of Christians and a lot of churches that are drifting from the gospel. And Paul says that we are to be people of the Bible. We are to be Bible people. We're to be people of the gospel. We're to be gospel people. Because the word of life is, is the rule of faith, which steers and guides the way that we live as Christians. Yes, we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Do you believe that? We certainly do. And we're being reminded of that more and more. As I grow older, I can't help noticing the speed with which the world is becoming more hostile towards God. And it's a worry. I've got nearly 13 grandchildren. And I worry for those little children growing up in this crooked and twisted generation that we're living in today. We need to teach those children the word of life. Right from a young age, and pray that the Spirit of God would activate that word in their hearts and that they will grow up to know and to love the Lord and want to serve him and obey him and stand against the stuff that's going on in the world around about us. These culture wars around us are out in the open now. Things like marriage and sexuality and gender issues, how to define a person, individual rights, Abortion, euthanasia. These are, the, these are the culture wars that are being fought today and they're being fought in our schools and in our universities. They're being fought in the media. They're being fought in uh, the political and legal systems that we have uh, these days. And, and all of them are piling on against Christians and churches. 
The world is certainly twisted and crooked. So how should we respond? Well, we respond by shining as lights in the world. Verse 15. As those who have been born again, who have been filled with the Spirit of God, we have the opportunity now to shine for Christ in the midst of the darkness of the world around about us. And I wonder whether the people that we mix and move among are seeing the light of Jesus in the midst of that darkness. And the darker the world becomes, the brighter and more distinctly the light of Christ ought to shine. Sadly, that doesn't mean that just because we as individuals or we as a church shine our light for Christ, the people automatically come flocking to Christ. Sadly, there are still many whose hearts are hard and who will reject that. But we need to understand that the light of Jesus will never be extinguished. Never, never, never. And as God's people stay faithful, as they continue to trust in the Lord and obey the Lord and love the Lord with everything that they've got, that light will continue to shine and there will be some who will come to Jesus. All right, so secondly, we grow by shining our light and continuing to faithfully shine the light of Jesus into the darkness of the world around about us. Then finally, we grow by cultivating a faith that keeps on persevering. Pick it up at verse 16, halfway to verse 16. So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul here is, is, is imagining that day when he's standing before the Lord. Maybe he's giving the Lord an account of his missionary work and his church planting work. And there alongside of him is this big group of Philippian believers who are the fruit of his ministry. What a moment of pride and joy that would be for Paul the faithful evangelist, the faithful pastor. He's standing there before Jesus, surrounded by these Philippian believers. I'm sure I speak for all pastors when I say that um, there are times when we wonder, we, we even doubt whether our efforts of pastoral ministry really make any difference. I was a full-time pastor for 32 years before I retired. I think of all the meetings that, uh, that I attended over those 32 years and quite a few years before that, before I even became a pastor when I was a deacon. I think of all the sermons and the hours and hours that I spent preparing those sermons. I think of all the conversations, the visits, the words of counsel that I shared, all the prayers that I prayed, Maybe also the tears that I cried. Was my ministry worth it? Will there be any people in that final day who will join me before the Lord 
And praise God that I stayed faithful over those years. Fronting up week after week, preaching the word, pointing people to Christ. I, I think there's a tiny little bit of selfishness coming through in Paul here. But he, he's saying to the, the folk there at the church at Philippi, keep persevering, guys. Don't give up because I want to be proud of you on that day. I want to know that my effort has not been in vain. That's kind of what he's saying. And so maybe even for my sake, as well as for Jesus' sake, of course, but for my sake, will you stay faithful? Will you keep persevering? And then he finishes by comparing his life to a drink offering. Well, what's this about? What's this drink offering? Well, I had to do a little bit of research myself, to be honest with you, but the drink offering was a, um, was a measure of wine that was often poured out onto the altar after the main animal sacrifice had been offered. All right, so imagine you're in the temple or the tabernacle and you've brought your animal to the priest and, uh, and the, the main offering has been sacrificed. And at the end of it all, just to bring the offering to completeness, they poured out onto the altar a measure of wine. That was the drink offering. And what Paul's saying here is your coming to faith in Christ is the main offering. I'm just the small offering at the end, the drink offering that's being poured out to complete the offering. And uh, maybe in, in saying, comparing himself to this drink offering, Paul is actually making a bit of a reference to the things that he had suffered, the sacrifices that he had made in order for people like the Philippians to actually come to Christ. But the main point is that regardless of what it had cost him over the years to share the gospel, Paul wanted them to be there with him on the final day as the living proof of the gospel's power and of the ministry that Paul had had among them. And he's saying, will you please keep persevering for Jesus' sake, but maybe also for my sake as well. Friends, are we persevering? Are we looking forward to the day when we're going to stand before the Lord and maybe hear those words of Jesus, well done. Because it doesn't matter, as I said before, how many years we've been Christians, doesn't matter how old we might be, that day is still in the future. And we don't want to muck it up, do we? Let's keep pressing on and persevering. The Apostle Paul had been totally transformed when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was never the same again from that moment. And now he's an old man. He's confined to a prison cell. You could have excused him for maybe feeling just a little bit sorry for himself. After all the, the persecution he'd suffered and the, the ministry that he'd conducted under very difficult circumstances... You think, you know, but you don't get any of that self-pity coming through in these verses at all. He's still 
eager to press on himself. In, 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 a, in a week or two's time, you're going to do Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, you know, I may be, you know, in my 60s and, and uh, pretty beaten up and weathered by all that I've suffered in ministry. But I want to keep on knowing Christ. I want to keep on knowing the power of his resurrection in my life. I want to keep on sharing in his sufferings. Didn't matter what his circumstances were. Didn't matter how old he was. He was still working out his salvation with fear and trembling. He was still shining for Christ in the midst of a crooked and sinful, twisted generation. And he is still looking forward to that day when he would stand before the Lord, surrounded by the trophies of his ministry. What an inspiration. And what an encouragement that is to us. Can I ask you this morning, just as we finish up, is your faith still alive and growing? Are you still just as keen for Christ now as what you were 20, 30, 40 years ago, whatever the case may be? Is the gospel still driving you forward in your life? As we close, let's just pray and ask God to, to, to keep renewing our love for him. That, that, that we might have that continual desire within our hearts to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pray that, that we might be captivated all over again by the wonder and the joy of our salvation. That we might be filled afresh by the Holy Spirit so that others might see the difference that Christ makes in our lives as we live our lives for him. Let's pray. Our loving Father, thank you for the, the power of your word to convict us and to expose us, but also, Lord, to comfort us and encourage us and urge us on. And Lord, you've been doing that through this passage this morning. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for his obedience even unto death. And Lord, as we reflect on his life, fill us, we pray, Lord, with an overwhelming sense of gratitude and a fresh desire, Lord, to live openly and unashamedly for him. And Lord, as the darkness of this, this sinful world deepens around us, help us to shine more and more brightly for Christ. Lord, give us opportunities to do that. Even, Lord, this week, give us an opportunity to be able to share Christ in some practical way with another person. And through it all, Lord, help us to stay faithful and to keep pressing on as we prepare ourselves for the day of Christ. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.